Good morning. It is my delight to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, We're going to be looking at a passage that uh, some will uh, say that uh, in the the last statement in this passage is one of those what we would consider hard sayings, and we'll see why as we look at it this morning. We're looking at Matthew 18, verses 23 to 25, or excuse me, to 35, <clears throat> 23 to 35, and uh, it's one of, again one of the parables, and it's the one of the uh, unforgiving servant. Um, I came up with a title late, and so I didn't get that in. But I'm calling it the I'm calling it indebted to forgiveness, and you'll see why I came up with that title as we move through this passage. Would you pray with me, please, before we take a look at the Word of God? <clears throat> Father, as we approach your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would apply it to our hearts in a way that our lives are transformed by it and according to your will and according to your grace. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 18, 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured 
until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There are three very important key words in this parable that I think will help us to more fully understand its importance and the depth of what it teaches and also will help to perhaps explain those hard words at the end. The very first word, therefore, and the last two words, your heart. Therefore, points us back to the context that sets up this parable. Your heart points us to the condition of the heart that forgives. Interestingly, it's the context that produces the kind of condition that the heart requires to truly forgive from the heart. And that's why I want to take a look at this context. So going back to the beginning of the chapter, the context of the kingdom of heaven is already set up in the question of who is greatest. And Jesus, we know, points out little children. We don't need to speculate about what characteristic of children or of childhood that Jesus had in mind. Often we kind of add our own thoughts into that, but, but Jesus actually identified it pretty clearly. It was their lowly position that he identified. And with that comes dependence and vulnerability, which is why he then launches into those warnings about stumbling. Oh, how easy it is for little ones to misplace their trust and how easy it is for them to stumble or wander off and how easy it is for others to cause them to stumble. And so he goes on, and and with that he says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. And he's moving, you see, again in sequence, building up to where this parable is going to take us. And then he gives us a picture of the seriousness of our sin. You see what he's setting up here? The seriousness of our sin, contrasting its outcome with being even physically maimed. There's no comparison. Nothing in this world is more harmful to us than sin and its consequences. You could lose an eye or a hand or a foot, and that has no comparison to the severity of sin and its consequences. This is the danger we face in this world. And we all alike, all alike, are dependent and vulnerable like those little ones. But too often we don't know it and we put ourselves at risk. But like a child, we should expect that the kingdom of heaven is a safe place. And as we move on in this text, 
It is because in this kingdom, the good shepherd, as he moves along again in this narrative, he moves to another parable, actually. It's the good shepherd who goes out and brings back the sheep that wanders. And that's what we need. That's the kind of care and compassion that we need. This is characteristic of the kingdom of God. But it's because of that danger of sin and how it is creeping up on us and how it, it grabs a hold of us. Do you see where he's going? We are all in need of God's grace and mercy. We are all in this together and together struggle against sin and its consequences and its grip on us. And so all the more we need each other and all the more we need each other's understanding and compassion and mercy and kindness and patience and support. That's why Jesus followed up then with the recovery of the lost sheep, also moving on to the instruction for the church on how to deal with sin in our midst. How do we go about that? One-on-one at first, quietly, gently, with a mind of protecting one another in love from things like gossip through privacy. And then step by step, step, whatever it takes, the whole purpose is to bring that person to restoration, to repentance, see, and to reconciliation. That's the goal. It's not to put a person down. It's not the person in the place. It's not to embarrass them. It's to bring restoration out of love. That is the only purpose we should ever have in confronting the sin of another brother or sister in Christ because that could be any one of us. That could be any one of us. Do you see where this is going? Peter certainly did. Why else would he ask about forgiveness? See, he knew that that's what had to be in mind in the first place when we confront one another. He understood that to want to restore another from the danger of sin meant a readiness to forgive was already there in our heart. And so he wondered, how many times should I forgive? Seven? That should be a very perfect number, right? In this case, not so much. Jesus blows that number away with 77, a number so high that it ought to tell us something. It should tell us that we should forgive and keep trying and not even trying to keep account and keep on forgiving and lose track. Each time we forgive, it's as though it's the first time. In the long run, What should happen is that while we are hoping that the other person's heart is changed, our heart is changed. Long before we get to 77, something along the way, and we may not know when because it creeps up on us, forgiveness becomes a habit. (laughs) Forgiveness becomes a habit. No longer... No longer do we even think about it. 
We just simply forgive because it's needed. It becomes a part of who we are. A forgiving person. We're changed. Through the repetition. Through embedding that in our lifestyle. The kingdom of God is like this. This is where Jesus then launches into the parable itself in order to really nail down the importance of forgiveness and how inescapable it is to really, in really reflecting our own heart. A heart transformed by grace and forgiveness that we have received. Forgiveness is an, inis- in, is an expectation Forgiveness is an expectation of a changed heart. An expectation of a lifestyle in God's kingdom. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This is where the therefore is for. We cannot understand the importance of forgiveness apart from the realization of our own sin and our own need for forgiveness. We cannot understand the importance of forgiveness apart from the realization of our own sin and our need for forgiveness. And the degree to which we are willing and ready to forgive is in direct proportion to the sincerity of our own repentance and gratitude for God's forgiveness. Get that. Why do you think that Jesus included forgiveness as an essential part of the Lord's Prayer? And why would he, why would it be the only part that he elaborated on immediately after the end of the Lord's Prayer? And sandwiched in between that, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What he said there is very, very similar to what was expressed at the end of this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it starts with a king. Not just any man or master, but a king. And you see, that sets him apart as someone revered and, you know, often, it's not so much the sin, it's not the severity of the sin, so much as it is, you see, the severity is determined by the one to whom it is against. The fact that it's a king see, that's significant because it is in a, it, it inescapably points us to God and to the debt that we owe a holy God. And from there, this parable is pretty straightforward. The debt here in this parable is so high, we're talking in today's, by today's numbers, we're talking multi-billions of dollars. 
It is so high that it can never be repaid within a person's lifetime. In fact, it would take numerous lifetimes. So what does that say? (laughs) We cannot pay it. We are incapable of paying it back. And how arrogant of that first slave to say, I'll pay the whole thing. Liar. Insincere. And that was obviously demonstrated. There was no repentance there. So if our debt outlives us, it is impossible to pay it back. We are entirely at God's mercy, and we know it. When you look at a number that big, you know it. It's inescapable. And like the king, when God forgave our sin, he canceled the debt so that it no longer hangs over us. So here's the thing. He had to recover the cost himself. You see what's embedded here in this story? See? And he did it. He took the cost. While this parable doesn't carry this story quite this far, we know it's there. It should certainly bring to mind for us the gospel and that it was Christ who bore the cost for us. And that frees us from the burden of the debt that is owed, but that we could not pay. Now, if we're freed of a debt, and someone else owes us, we have the resources to cover that. (laughs) See, we have no excuse. We have no excuse. The debt owed in this parable by the first servant is so outrageous that it is often referred to by commentators as hyperbole. But if we understand that this represents the debt we owe to God for our sin, then it is in no way an exaggeration. It is beyond us. This is the first thing that we need to try to grasp. But because of the distance of our sinful nature from the incomprehensible, the infinite, the majestic holiness of God, we can't even comprehend the detestable nature and the depth of our sin in God's eyes. We underestimate it. We minimize the hideousness of sin. And until we realize that, we will never appreciate how great is His love and His grace that He would even go so far as to cancel the debt and forgive that sin. Jesus used such a high number here to express the immensity of the debt owed to God so that we would understand the immensity of the forgiveness that we receive. How can our hearts not be moved to gratitude and to joy 
And how can our hearts not be moved to deep sorrow for our sin and to repentance, to true and seer repentance and a change of life and the pursuit of God and His holiness. And yet this story shows that was not the case with this first servant. Joy, the joy of a debt so big being canceled should have spilled over into compassion for his fellow servant, but it did not. In light of a debt so huge to, to repay being forgiven, one so small should have been easy to forgive. But he failed to show even a small fraction of the mercy that he had received. And we should not pass over the fact that that was noticed by these other servants. Aware of what happened, they understood fully what should have taken place. Such a lack of mercy is too appalling and too disturbing to overlook. How can anyone forgiven so much fail to forgive so little? The king's words say it all. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And yet when it comes time to forgive, how often? Do we forget the magnitude of God's forgiveness and we justify our stubbornness until it becomes bitterness? The point Jesus is making in the end is that there is no place in God's kingdom among those who know that they have been forgiven. We need reminding that the one who is forgiven much Loves much. And love does not keep a record of wrongs. Here's the thing. The forgiveness of the debt we owe to God should be enough to cancel any debt we think that is owed to us. The forgiveness of the debt we owe to God should be enough to cancel any debt we think that is owed to us. The debts between us, when compared to the debt to God, are so trivial and they are so light that they are like dust on a scale. Their weight doesn't even register and can easily be wiped away. How can we dare not show mercy out of God's mercy to us? In fact, they are so light. When you look at, you you, you go back to Joseph in the Old Testament. When he was, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. His answer to her was, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? Potiphar's name never even showed up in it. The sin was against God. Everything else pales into insignificance. David, remember you go to Psalm 51, and when he confessed his sin, he said, 
Against you and you only have I sinned and done what, you, what is evil in your sight. Didn't mention Uriah. Didn't mention Bathsheba. Didn't mention pulling Abner into the thing. Because our, you know, the distance between us is so small. Because we're all alike sinners. I said it early and I'll say it again. Forgiveness is an expectation from a changed heart. A regenerated heart. It is in the DNA of the kingdom of heaven. And in the heart that is born from above. Forgiveness between us is such an essential product of the gospel. And it testifies to the grace of God's forgiveness in Christ. And it's a measure. It's a measure of our own repentance and faith in response to God's mercy on us. If there was ever a measure of our own repentance, it's our willingness to forgive. To know God's mercy reduces the weight of our mercy to one another. Significantly. Pray with me. Father, help us to say from the heart and in truth, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In response to God's word this morning, we're going to settle into the sacrifice that Christ made for us, the debt that he paid for us, so that we may go and forgive others. So please stand and join us in singing the wonderful cross. <laughs>